You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be breaking down Utah UCLA. Look forward to Utah Washington State, and Utah loses a key member to their defensive secondary. I'm Cameron, and we have Ryan from the North Pole. Hey, Ute Nation from the North Pole, and Scott. Well, I don't get an introduction like where I am. <laughs> Ryan's a traveling man. <laughs> He's always out on the go, so we appreciate Ryan calling in, making time for the podcast. Scott, eh, welcome. <laughs> I'm across the table. Oh, I love it. He has to stay right with off, me. Right off the bat, right off the bat, Scott's under the bus. I love it. You know what? Right where I belong. How about that youth performance this weekend? Did anyone see that coming? Ryan, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Utah comes away with the victory, 48-17. to After the first quarter, it was an absolute beatdown by this Utah team. I think it's what we've all been waiting to see from this offense. It, like, finally broke out. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too hyped up about it because... It was UCLA's defense we were playing against, but I think we saw some things that we actually hadn't seen all season long, which was which was nice. Well, I know people have said, you know, it was UCLA's defense. They're not very good. But to that point, this is what you want to see. How disheartening oh, yeah. would have been if it would have just been a three-point victory for Utah? Then you could say uh, UCLA isn't that good. But when it's an absolute beatdown on a Pac-12 opponent, I don't care who it is, that's impressive, and Utah needed that that win and that game. And then, I mean, Whittingham even talked about it today in his press conference to get that edge, that chip back on their shoulder. Yeah, they needed that more for confidence versus for scoreboard. Yes, it, I mean, it's good to get a big-time win or, or, or get a big win as far as uh, you know, being able to put that many points up on the board. But I think just getting them back into a rhythm and being able to, to consistently score points from that second, third, and even into the fourth quarter, they were scoring on nearly every drive. And, uh, and they weren't having to settle for field goal. So, yes, it was against a UCLA team that is just not very good that looked like they had given up. But that's what you have to do against good teams. And finally, we were able to see that. The biggest takeaway for me from this game, the first quarter, it looked like the same Utah team we've seen the last four weeks. And then it's out of garbage, no, that first quarter. I mean, the old line was terrible. Absolutely terrible. I, I, I was going to come out of the stands if I saw Huntley with the clock ticking down motioning to Carrington to do something like I don't know if he was like doing like little little shadow puppets or something whatever he was motioning him to do and Carrington just staring back at him like what do you want me to do dude it it was weird they were huddling more than they have they got rid of the bed sheet 
from the guys with the signals, and it didn't go very well, right? That first quarter looked bad all around on the offensive side. They were able to make adjustments. Troy Taylor was able to make adjustments. Something we've been wanting to see from this team for heck all season, especially the last four weeks, and they were able to do it, and they did it on the back of a running game and getting Zach Moss the ball. To me, that's key, that the running. When you just said they did it on the back of Zach Moss, that, that uh, I think, is what changed the outcome of that game. As we all know that first quarter was just awful, and it seemed like they were running Huntley a little bit here and there, but it's like it seemed like Troy Taylor was doing up to his usual play calling with trying to throw the ball, even though he, everybody knows that the weakest part of UCLA's defense is their run defense. And then for some reason, whether he was told to or he just woke up, it clicked in the second quarter on that they finally started feeding Moss the ball. And it, and it worked. It opened up everything they wanted to do from that point on. But I think even going beyond that, I, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, Zach is running really well, and he ran hard. But I think I think that success was because of the O line. As soon as as soon as they made a change at right guard and put in uh, Paul uh, Paul T, we'll call him Teola. <laughs> Te- Teriola. I'll, I'll I'll take a shot at it. You know how bad I am, uh, Paul Tohala. Paul Tohala. <laughs> That's like from Finding Nemo Shark Bay. Once Paul Tohala was put into you. the game. I hate you. I hate you. Paul Tohala. No, but as soon as, soon as he came in, the, the offensive line, again, granted, this is UCLA, but they looked, they looked more like last year's. They were powerful. They were aggressive, and they were moving. They were controlling the line of scrimmage which allowed those gaping holes and for Moss just to start just going to town. Because as soon as we did that, the offense got into a rhythm. We were able to extend drives, continue to pick up first downs, and that then opened up the passing game. No, it was it was a big key to, to, to get Paul T, like you said, into the game. He also took some snaps at center. I think that was big. Well, he is the backup center. True, but having him at right guard, moving him to center, and moving him back out to right guard, that's going to play huge dividends the rest of the season and into next year as this O-line's trying to regroup, kind of find their way. They're not going to be the best O-line by the end of the season in the Pac-12. I'm not saying that, but I like that we can that we can find a player that we can plug in and move around that O-line to get the best core out there that we can. Yeah, once they figure things out, then Zach just, I mean, Zach was good. I mean, he right now averaging 5.4 yards per carry, which is a pretty darn good uh, average. But his success, I think Troy Taylor is finally figuring it out, and he's getting away from the read option because he's just, he has not been all that explosive. He hasn't been all that successful running the ball in the read option outside of game one against a bad North North Dakota team. Now that we're actually t- calling designed runs, he knows he's getting the ball, whether it's in uh, the pistol formation or whether it's the darn pitch or whatever it is, 
he's having a lot more success because we're basically running power in those in those scenarios and getting away from that read option. Which is which is running to his strength, uh, I believe. I mean, he he's not the type of running back that's going to be quick enough to get to those edges, and but he can he can run people over, and once he gets through that that line, he's got he's got speed. He's just not quick from side to side. I think you're making a great point, Ryan. Zach Moss is having success when he's a powerful runner, right? When he's hitting the hole fast, mm-hmm. getting to that second uh, layer of defense and really running guys over. Kind of what you were saying, Scott, that, that read option, trying to hold Moss in the backfield to slow him up and then trying to get him out to the edge hasn't really been that successful. And I love that Troy Taylor, like what I said at the beginning, was able to make changes after that first quarter and really called a very excellent game. I'm just ecstatic as a Utah fan. That was, it was fun game to watch. Winning cures a lot of things and losing four straight sucked. No, it does. But the key is, and Whittingham said this, that's one game. Can they be, can they consistently now do this? Because if we just, you know, Go, again, we're going up a, against a better defense, a better opponent this week against Washington State. So that consistency of being able to run the ball and not not take until halftime to figure it out that 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 was a little concerning to me. I, I thought Troy called a great game, absolute great game from mid second quarter on, but I it did seem strange to me why it took so long. For them to get going, and and it took so long for them to realize just get the ball to Moss instead of trying to do all these design runs on the on the edges for Huntley. Yeah, I don't know why it took so long either, and that's why I kind of alluded earlier to the point to the fact that I mean, we'll never know what exactly transpired to kickstart that the offense in that game. But I said that somebody somebody may have said something to him like run the ball. I mean. It, yeah, uh, maybe that. I think there maybe winning hadn't said forty six thousand people stop. that were chanting that at one point. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but, but also what I really liked uh, it seemed. I mean, we've seen it from time to time this season, but I think we it's at least seemed like we saw it more this past game was uh, the two back set, which obviously worked really well on the first play of the second half when uh, McCormick had the 75-yard touchdown run. But I think that gives so many more options uh, and and makes the makes the defense accountable to to more players as well. Well, well both of McCormick's touchdowns actually came uh, from basically just wheel routes right out of the backfield. Um, UCLA just, they were not paying attention. The linebacker on the the second touchdown. I mean, he just watched him run right by him, and had no interest in following him. But you again, you're going to get that against the bad teams that just are not disciplined. It's the good teams where maybe those easy looks, those easy gimmies are not going to be there. And Washington State, you know, we'll we'll get into them a little bit more here. But they are they are a disciplined defense. They uh, they perform extremely well and are ranked really high statistically across the board so they're going to be a big challenge and i think that's going to be the key 
if we can go in and we can put up a, a similar type offensive performance, then I think we will have turned a corner. If we just go back into three and outs and looking disorganized and uh, and not real successful, you know how how big of a corner did we really turn? I think my my final thought on on the offense is I loved that Troy Taylor didn't let up on the gas. I know that's one thing as oh, yeah. as the as this fan base we are very critical of. OCs in the past and, and putting a lot of blame on Whittingham for getting a lead and then sitting on it. The one game that comes to mind, Washington State, a few years ago when Utah went up 21 nothing, and then just completely shut down and Utah or Washington State came back and won. Well, okay, so let me ask you this. Would you have the same opinion if when we're up 30, 20-some-odd points early fourth, mid-fourth, even late fourth, and we're running Tyler Huntley and he gets injured. Because <laughs> oh, we were. Those, I know, are I know. those are two different topics. Well, I don't no, think any of us wanted. Well, no, it's the same topic because you're being aggressive with your quarterback. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing why I like. I know a lot of people wanted Troy Williams uh, to come in the game just for injury sakes. I love having Tyler still in there because this offense was still – Trying, it's still trying to learn to play together. It's still trying to find that rhythm that was lost from the beginning of the season. I don't have a problem with what they did on Saturday. I think in those situations, it's a case by case situation. I don't, Ryan. What do you think? I don't necessarily have a problem with him being in the game. What my concern was, it seemed like there were too many uh, quarterback designed quarterback runs late in the game where you didn't need to take the chance of him uh, getting rolled up on or injuring that shoulder again. Let him turn around. If he needs to be in the game, throw some so throw some passes, hand the ball off, sure, fine. But those designed runs when you're up 30-plus points in the middle of the fourth quarter, I, I think you're asking for trouble. And, and that that's my point is I yeah I, I I'm glad he played the whole game in the entire fourth quarter. He needs reps. The offense needs reps. Uh, just those design runs late in the game when it's out of reach is just a little little concerning because all it takes is one bad fall or getting landed on wrong for something you know and then and then we're back to square one. Okay, injuries can happen at any point. Right, of course. I mean, look at uh, the BYU game with Tanner Mangum. He just steps kind of funny, and he's gone. Right, so injuries can happen. But if you looked at Huntley that whole game, he wasn't taking big hits. He was getting down. He was getting out of bounds. He was protecting his body very well. So I, I wasn't that concerned, and I'm glad he did it because the offense needs to get reps. No, they need reps. I just don't think. You know, any design runs that late in the game is going to make or break anything into the future. But he didn't get he didn't get injured, uh, thankfully, or this fan base may have lost a. So even though the game was really fun, uh, a lot of things to be happy about with this team, and, and still a lot of things to work on. Probably the the worst thing that could happen is, is a season-ending injury. Uh, Marquise Blair is out for the rest of the year. Uh, Ballard's going to be starting for him at free safety. I mean, Ballard's a, a great kid, a great athlete. Uh, he he's filled in well 
uh, for Blair and Hanson at times. But man, Blair was just having a heck of a season, and it really your heart has to go out to a kid like that. Especially on a non-contact injury. I mean, he's just running to a to a tackle, and uh, just comes up lame. And so, I mean, it's it's unfortunate, you know. In those in those types, you you kind of wonder, well, if it was non-contact, you know, there's obviously some maybe prior damage, and you know, would have come sooner rather than later at some point. But it, it's tough. There was a lot of those. I mean, UCLA was getting dinged up all night long. I mean, Jim Mora was uh, in shock after the game, the amount of injuries and season ending that they yeah, had. They had like a torn ACL, a dislocated knee, and like water in lungs. Heart, so it was heart failure. I think someone was diagnosed with something <laughs> during the game. I mean, they, no, they, they, had, a, they had a lot of them. And uh, we got dinged up, but hopefully, at least from what Whittingham had to say today, the only one that was season ending was Marquise, which, yeah, I mean, safety position's been great at times and been shaky at times. And so you lose Blair, who's probably been your biggest playmaker um, and probably the most consistent. Ballard has looked good at times, and I, and I actually thought he came in and played a pretty good game in the second half. He was the starter early on, lost the job to Blair. So obviously... Uh, you know, he wasn't uh, performing up to the level that Blair was. But, you know, with all that being said, he's been getting reps. He's got some experience, and so I think he'll be able to step in. Um, Philip Afia can't really get consistent uh, reps uh, for, for whatever reason. And Winningham said that Afia is going to be backing up both uh, Ballard and Hanson. So pray for help. <laughs> so that will be interesting uh, to really see what he can showcase the rest of the season. Thoughts and prayers, if that's allowed. I, I don't know if that's still allowed. <laughs> Ryan, what what are your so, thoughts I'm, about Blair being out? Well, I definitely think it's it's rough. I feel bad bad for him. It will hurt us to some extent because, as Scott said, he's been uh, a huge part of that defense. He's brought a lot of not only firepower, I guess you could say, to the position the way he he hits, but I think he's also been a catalyst on the defensive side of the ball to fire up his teammates. He just seems like he has that that uh, ability to, whether it's verbally or just by the way he plays the game, to, to lead by example, and that's definitely going to be missed. One thing that will be interesting to see is I think – with Blair back there, Hanson's been able to play more up closer to the line, uh, you know, or like a hybrid linebacker almost out of that strong safety position. So without Blair in there and and Ballard starting, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see the role that Hanson's going to be having on, on this team. So with Hanson not playing that hybrid linebacker role and maybe not being as close to the line of scrimmage, Scott, I'll throw this over to you. In general, where do you what do you think this does to the defensive line? I hope it wakes it up. But uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it's gonna it's gonna determine how how healthy is Fitz. Can we can can we continue to count on Fitz? He left the game. Henninger came in in this place uh, for uh, for uh, part of the well second half of that game. I'm not sure if Fitz actually ever came back in. I didn't I didn't notice him. Um, 
But I think this D this D line, I mean, they just we we've talked about it week after week. It's kind of just a broken record at this point. I mean, just looking over some stats, I mean, we ranked eleventh in the con or excuse me, eleventh in the conference in sacks with fifteen on the season. Only Oregon State is worse than us. That is very surprising. I mean, I, I knew we just weren't very that effective, but to be that far down, I mean, we're just we're not getting to the quarterback, and that's troublesome with who's who's coming into Rice Eccles next week with Washington State because they're going to pass the ball. They average fifty three pass attempts a game, so which means you've got to get to their quarterback and you got to put pressure on him. And you can't do it by blitzing all the time because they will kill you in the passing game. So our front four have got to find a way. If they're not getting to him, they've got to start getting at least pressure to make him uncomfortable, throwing in a crowded pocket um, or, you know, or getting him out on the run. But I think, I think overall the defensive line – I think they figured some things out in the running game. They looked uh, in uh, the rush defense, and uh, and hopefully we can we'll continue to see that type of improvement. But uh, I think in this this upcoming game is going to be real pivotal that they up their game and we see a little bit more production out of them. Okay, and before we kind of wrap up this Utah UCLA game. Uh, we are brought to you by Farmers Insurance for protecting your home, vehicle, and family. Look to Farmers Insurance. Call Scott Omer at 801-307-4046. So I think before you know, we, we put a bow on this game, I really want to get what you guys took away from this game that we haven't talked about uh, You know anything. Uh, I think for me, I'll go first. I think for me, the, the biggest thing uh, was chunk plays. By, by the offense, something that we haven't really seen really all year. Uh, we're getting those, those chunk plays. So as a Utah fan, that was exciting to see uh, the Utah offense really clicking and moving downfield. Ryan, what's your last takeaway from this game? We didn't talk too much about special teams. Um, and I think there were a couple of big plays. There was the the play that maybe contributed to kickstarting uh, the team a little bit in the big, the the fumbled punt by UCLA that we recovered and were able to actually score a touchdown in the red zone, which was nice. And then um, Matt Gay hitting a 50 yarder and, and also not having to rely on him uh, so much, but, but knowing that he's, you know, he's reliable enough when we do need him. He's got a leg that the ball just, Rockets off his foot, and it's just a, it is it is still climbing a lot of times as it goes through the uprights. I think it's crazy that he hasn't really been playing football. I mean, he played a little in high school, right? But then he played soccer. That's crazy that he hasn't. He hasn't I been tell playing you, for all a of, years. All of the Disney movie kicking stories belong to Utah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All right, Scott. Uh, what are you taking away? So I got a, I got a couple. First one being we, we had the first exciting home game of the season. There was excitement. The fan base was actually into it. It felt good. It felt good to be just get Rice Eccles loud again and have some have stuff to cheer about. 
And uh, so that that was good. That's my takeaway that it still exists. Second of all, I, I'd go back to special teams. I mean, right now um, we've got uh, we lead the conference in field goals made. We lead the conference in uh, net punting, um, in punt return coverage at minus four yards. We're just we're just killing it in special teams. So if the defense can continue to tighten up. And this offense that we've talked about that hopefully has turned a corner, um, you kind of combine all of those. That, you know, I, here's a question. If we win out, win our, win our next three games, so we go on a four-game winning streak to end the season, would that save the season for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about wins over two top 25 teams in Washington and Washington State. You'd be 8-4 and four with losing 16 guys to the NFL. That's a success by any program. I mean, I think if you look back at one of our early podcasts prior to the season, we were all in the range of picking 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three anyway, so if you if you finish eight and four, it's not exactly how we and or how we saw that playing out. But if it does play out, that's actually pretty remarkable. Yeah, I'd even go one step further. I I think if you finish two and one with uh, uh, most likely a loss up at uh, Washington coming our way, but I think if you, if we can finish at least two and one, I think that's extremely encouraging. And uh, yeah, it gets us to seven and five with a chance to get to eight wins in a bowl game. But with all that being said, and all that we've gone through this year, I think I think that'd be pretty remarkable if we can still at least win two out of these next three. All right, if Utah wants to get off on that two to one to end the season, or even three and zero, oh, they're going to be doing it by welcoming in Washington State Cougars into Rice Echo Stadium this Saturday. Washington State. Is a very good team. They're coming in at eight and two, twenty in the coaches, nineteen in the AP, and they're one of the best air raid offenses in the country. No, they are. They are a deadly offensive team. But this year they're a pretty darn good defensive team. That's why they're eight and two on the season. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, they they've only played four away games, three so far. Well, excuse me. Yeah, this will this be will the be fourth. their fourth. Yeah. And uh, and two of their losses, their only two losses have come on the road. Yeah. So they've uh, really only won one road game to this point. Yeah, uh, their road games just to give everyone a rundown. They lost at Cal thirty-seven to three. They beat Oregon thirty-three to ten, and then they lost to Arizona fifty-eight to thirty-seven. I think uh, Steve Bartle from uh, UteZone.com put on Twitter tonight that their third down conversion on the road is 21%. Not very good. So they do have some weaknesses. They don't run the ball a lot, but their running back, Jamal Merrill, is averaging six yards a carry. Here's the problem. So you got a guy who's pretty good running back, averaging six yards a carry, and they're still dead last in rushing offense in the, in the conference at 85 yards a game, which means their OC... Mike Leach, they just don't care about running the ball. No. They'll do it every once in a while when the, when that dart lands in that one spot on the wall. Other than that, 
It's throw the ball. It's throw the ball. It's throw the ball. And uh, so it's going to be interesting. But, I mean, yeah, going back, I mean, they've only got one road victory, and that's against Oregon. And, you know, Oregon's not that good. That was that was a joke. <laughs> so they they did. I mean, they do have an impressive because Oregon smacked us around, but they won thirty three ten at Oregon, but have not looked particularly all that well. I mean, against Stanford, they did win a, a squeaker twenty four twenty one. As good as their offense is, and as potent as their offense is, they're not consistently putting up big point totals. I haven't watched a ton of them this year, but it it seems like as good of a quarterback as Falk has been, and he just set uh, a record for most passing yards as a Pac-12 quarterback, I don't see Leach, like there's there's not like a love fest there between he and Falk. Because it seems like if Falk makes makes a mistake, he gets pulled and then they bring in the backup quarterback who ends up throwing four interceptions and they lose the game. Well, Falk has been benched uh, uh, a few different times this year, and then he ultimately gets his job back, whether it's a half later or a quarter later. Um, and I think that's probably Leach's just way of saying, I'm upset at you. Go think about what you've done and go to timeout. But I, I think the key, obviously, is going to be. We talked about this a little, a little earlier. Is you got to put pressure on him. He he takes hits. He will hold on to the ball until until somebody comes open. So there's going to be opportunities to put him on his back or or force him into a bad throw. You know where maybe we can intercept it um, and, and get a, and get a turnover. But he, he has been susceptible to that. And he is not afraid. I mean, his whole career, he's just been—he's taken lick after lick because he holds on to that ball until until somebody comes open. I mean, he has been sacked thirty-three times this year. Yeah, well, and he's not—he's not a running threat, which we've seen from how many quarterbacks lately. You know, so I think in some ways it could help the D line by just pinning their ears back. They just know what they got to do. They have got to get to the quarterback. And then uh, that's going to be the key. The secondary, I've got enough confidence in the secondary. They're going to have to play well because Washington State State's going to spread us out. Five wide receivers, four wide receivers. They're going to throw the ball all over the field. So we got to be we got to be ready to to, uh, to defend. But again, if we can get pressure and and get some sacks and and create some third and longs, second and longs, it's going to typically. It's going to help the defense. So, I don't know. Well, and to that point, Scott, the D-line's got to help the secondary out. They can't let Falk stand back there all game and have endless time because he will pick you apart. I'm just glad we're not going up against a quarter, quarterback who r- runs the read option because we still haven't figured out how to defend <laughs> it. So, hey, let's just focus on getting to the quarterback, pin the ears back, and uh, and then hopefully uh, Morrow doesn't uh, have a career day against us. You wouldn't call Utah a particularly efficient offense, over-the-top offense. We're averaging 416 yards a game offensively. Washington State, 467. Not a big difference. 
I think this is the difference is that Washington State's finishing drives where Utah's been having issues with that. Oh, we yeah, solved that's... those problems. Cam, come on, it's in the rearview mirror. <laughs> One game isn't going to solve it. And Washington's State defense, as, as you said earlier, Scott, it's not the defenses that Mike Leach has had in the past. This is a very good defensive team that, heck, is allowing a team like Washington State's offense just run that air raid up and down the field, turn the ball over, but yet the defense is holding their own with Washington State. And that's why they are a top 20 team. They they are top three in nearly every major defensive statistic. Now, is that in the league or in, in the country? In, in the league. Okay, I just want yeah, to clarify. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just basing this off of uh, Pac-12, but... And that is not something you have, you have seen from Washington State over the years. They are throw the ball, score a lot of points, and hopefully they can they can outscore their opponent. But they've got a good defense, and they are disciplined. Um, they're good against the run. They're good against the pass. So we are going to have to play extremely well. And I'm glad it's a you know it's it's big that we don't have to travel up there into uh, Laramie 2.0. And and play. It's it's big that uh, this is at home in Rice Eccles. Get them on the road where they're not quite as potent, and uh, and hopefully the fan base shows up again. Have another loud game, and because uh, it's it's gonna it's a big game. It's a big game for Utah, and it's a big game for Washington State because um, the Pac-12 North is on the line for them. All right, before we give our Utah uh, Washington State pick, we are brought to you by Doubletree Suites by Hilton in Salt Lake City downtown, 110 West, 600 South in Salt Lake City, Utah. They are the preferred Pac-12 hotel in Salt Lake City, so give them a call, 801-359-7800. All right, so Utah welcomes Washington State into Rice Stadium, and I, Vegas has this game closed. Uh, it opened up as a one-point favorite for Washington Washington State. Uh, it stayed there. Uh, a couple places have a has it as a pick'em game. So Vegas is thinking this is going to be close. I think it's going to be close with uh, Utah being at home. If they can make turnovers, give their offense a short field, and having an extra day to prepare and not having to travel at all. I think Utah comes away with a victory 34 to 31. Ryan? I'm basing this off of Utah turning the corner offensively last week and hope they can keep it going. I'm going to say Utah squeaks it out 31 28. Scott? I'm going to, yeah, obviously, I think it's going to be a close one. And uh, I'm going to go with Utah 24. I think we kick a late field goal. To win twenty four twenty three. So, like Vegas, we all have a close game. It's interesting that win against UCLA. Look what it's done. It's just put us over the moon, baby. <laughs> all right. So now, in our Pac twelve games of the week, if you remember from last episode, we went against my three year old son, and luckily Scott and Ryan. Barely beat him, so they're still on the podcast. Woo! Whoa, whoa! Barely beat him by one game. How did you? How did you fare, Cameron? 
I didn't lose. We'll put it that way. <laughs> I didn't. My three-year-old didn't beat me. Uh, so on the year, we I'm, almost we we were almost looking for a new host. Oh. So on the year, I'm a uh, twenty-one and six, and Ryan and Scott have caught up. They're at twenty and seven. <laughs> pretty competitive this year. We're pretty close. Uh, so the first game we're going to be picking is the Washington Huskies are traveling to take on the Stamper Trees. Washington's a six and a half point favorite right now. Washington is playing really well. I, I can't go against uh, Peterson, so I'm going to go with the Huskies. Ryan? Yeah, Washington might as well be playing at home. There's no home field advantage in Stanford, so go with the Huskies. Scott? This will be a good game, I think. Stanford uh, will slow the slow it down, probably be a little uh, um, lower scoring. But I think Washington is finally kind of hitting their stride a little bit, uh, which is scary considering we have them next week. But I'm going to go with uh, uh, UW. And the next game we have is the USC Trojans are traveling to Boulder to play the Colorado Buffs. USC's a 13-and-a-half favorite right now. I think this game's going to be close. It seems like Colorado plays USC really well, and, and especially in Boulder, they're going to be at altitude. Uh, USC's kind of been up and down. I think it's going to be close, but I can't go against the Trojans right now, so I'm going to go with USC. Ryan? Yeah, I, I'm going to go with USC as well. I just USC... They're not world beaters, but it's like they have, they just know how to turn on the switch when the game gets tight. They just seem to know what to do and how to score to pull it, to pull pull away and get a victory. So go with the Trojans. Scott? Yeah, Colorado, I wouldn't pick them next to a dumpster, so I'm going to go with (laughs) USC. All right, and then the last game we're picking, I think this one's going to be really interesting. Uh, Arizona State is traveling to the Rose Bowl uh, to take on UCLA, a team that we just saw here in Rice Stadium last week. Uh, UCLA, this game by Vegas is going to be very close. They, as well as Utah-Washington State, it's a one-point game um, uh, for the spread. I've seen it on Pick'em on some sites. I really think this UCLA team is going down. Even though Jim Mora may be coaching for his job, I just don't. I just don't think this UCLA team can turn it around. And who knows what's going on with Rosen and his finger? But I'm going to go with the Sun Devils on this one, Ryan. Yeah, it's a tough one. I. I don't think UCLA has enough bodies left with all the injuries. Going to go with ASU. And Scott to finish us up. Yeah, not to pile on here, but uh, I will go with uh, the. The Devils as well. I think uh, I think they'll win easily on that. All right, so that will do it for us on this episode. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. That's Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? Uh, you can find me at UMAN underscore forever. And I enjoy, I look forward to your your follows and future conversations. All right, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast. You can catch us at our home at utahmanpodcast.com. 
And you can always find us on any of your favorite podcasters. Will it be iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play? We're always there. And go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes will be till I die. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Ryan, uh, what kind of excited you or what kind of are you taking away from this game? Yeah, right. What excited you? <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, personal, Cameron. Before we move on, okay. did we ever figure out uh, what finger was injured? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. I don't think we ever figured that out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is, it's Twitter, not Tinder. Uh, and don't forget, to, uh, when you get to Uteman underscore forever, always swipe right. <laughs> I actually don't know if, sw- if swipe right means you just picked them or you discarded them. Ryan, Ryan actually has, Wait, a pretty, he has a pretty nice profile at FarmersOnly.com. <laughs> How'd you know about that? You don't have to be lonely. At FarmersOnly.com Woof. <laughs> City folks just don't get it. Howdy, partner. On to victory. Let's do this.